This evening, I invite you to stand with me. I'm going to read a rather long passage of Scripture. I'm going to invite you just one last time to stand. Uh, I invite you to hear the Word of God, to listen attentively to what it says. It is taken from uh, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 10, and I'm going to read from verse 9 all the way through to verse 48. Acts chapter 10, reading from verse 9 through to 48. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, replied Peter. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was for good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Are you still with me? Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. 
You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. The word of the Lord. Father, this evening... Even as I feel somewhat fatigued, I trust that your Holy Spirit would empower the thoughts that you've given me. I am reminded through the scripture and through the study of your word that you work through very ordinary people to accomplish your extraordinary work. You do so uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you that your spirit works through us and includes us. It doesn't work apart from us as your messengers and as your people. And so this evening I step behind the pulpit, depending upon your leading, seeking your wisdom, and trusting in the presence of your spirit. May what he said tonight be true. May what he said tonight bring liberation and hope. For whatever conviction we may sense comes as your loving act of correcting your children whom you love so very dearly. May we not shy away from confession tonight. Because, Father, it is in confessing that we remember you are good. <laughs> it is in confessing that burdens are lifted. It is in confessing that we recognize you are a gracious God that has so much more for us as your church than we often settle for. So now I ask, that the anointing of your Holy Spirit may be upon the proclaimed word. As you have been present in this church amongst your people, may you now be present in the preaching of the word of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Acts recounts the birth of the early Christian movement. From a fledgling movement of afraid Galileans who feared that if they were associated with the Nazarene Jesus after his crucifixion, that they would meet a certain end to their own lives. You see, their association with Jesus the Nazarene placed them in a precarious situation, uh, a situation where their association to him meant that they were a threat to the prevailing government. 
Pentecost in the early chapters of Acts, which many of us have heard about, we've heard preach about. Nonetheless, we've taught on, perhaps if we're a teacher, and some of us here have prayed that Pentecost would fall upon the church again. Amen? It's one of those important events in the forming of the church because if we understand the context again, it helps us to kind of really dig into what this could possibly mean for us. But as the early church was kind of not even formed yet, and there was this fledgling group who was afraid of the potential harm that could come to them, it is Jesus who instructed them to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. you remember this? The Holy Spirit, it is said, comes upon 120 men with such power that as as Peter preaches and as they proclaim in the tongues of the people representative there, it says that thousands became a part of this movement. Thousands were saved. We don't know if it's in one day or of a series of days. The point being this, that what the Holy Spirit done in these afraid disciples was so powerful that all these people gathered there, heard the message, and became believers in Jesus Christ. There's something significant about how preaching can simply be words, teaching can simply be good thoughts, could be great philosophy. I could give you a good biblical study on the original language, but preaching is only words if not by the presence of the Holy Spirit, God does something profound beyond what I can say to you. So as I proclaim his word tonight, I'm standing in the witness of the early church who have realized from an early on stage in the formation of the church that without the power of God's Holy Spirit, they could not accomplish what God has called them to do. You know, some of us, we got saved. Amen? I hope that's true. Whoa, you're, 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 a, little, you're a little tired tonight. You know, when we got saved, we had this deep passion and excitement and dependence on God. But here's what I find happens to a lot of Christians. We start to kind of go it in our own strength. We start to kind of live this life as if it's just up to us. Some of us become very self-righteous. Because we do all the righteous things and we judge everybody else who doesn't do it. (laughs) Forgetting that we are all saved by grace. But you see, Jesus Christ gives the church the gift of the Holy Spirit, not only that he would fill us to proclaim his word, but that we would have the power of God within us in such a profound way that lives are changed on account of us. But as this fledgling movement became a mass movement, it started to threaten the powers that be. The Jewish leaders didn't like what was happening One commentator states it this way. He says, the Jewish neighbors of the early Christians must have regarded them not as a lover of Monet regards a lover of Picasso, but as a lover of painting regards one who deliberately sets fire to galleries and who claims to do so in the service of the arts. Let me translate it for you. This fledgling movement became an incredible, powerful force, so much so that it challenged the prevailing way of doing religion. This fledgling group of people were so filled with the Holy Spirit that they begin to reach out to people who previous religious structures said was beyond the scope of God. One such man, Stephen, so filled and so moved by the Holy Spirit, stood in a synagogue and spoke to Jesus. to the Jewish leaders and said to them that God does not dwell in houses made by human hands. 
By this very statement, he was challenging all that defined the Jewish religion. He was saying that the temple has lost its purpose because in Christ there is a new abiding place. And we read through the, the witness of Acts that on account of this witness, Stephen was martyred. Stephen was stoned. But it is interesting as we study the Scripture that out of such death, the movement only got stronger. A couple of weeks ago, I was in London, England. I was with my wife. My wife loves history. Um, so you can imagine, we stopped at every statue that was in London. Uh, I like history. I wouldn't say I'm a lover of history. As a pastor, you have to love history. You, you, you certainly have to like history because a lot of the Bible is historical. We went to different places, and one of the places we went to was Westminster Abbey. Has anybody been to Westminster Abbey? This ornate, beautiful cathedral filled with a lot of dead bodies. People buried there for many years. And we went through, and you know, you listen on this little radio piece, this person, and what happened to that person. You, you, some of you are nodding. You've done this. And, and I remember going, I said, if I have to hear another person's story of death, I'm going to be depressed for the rest of my vacation. But my wife had the biggest grin on her face. She loved every moment in this place. As we left Westminster Abbey, I walked out of the door, and as I turned around, I looked up at the front face of the entrance. And right on the top was 12 martyrs carved out right into the face of this building. Uh, martyrs like uh, Martin Luther King Jr. with his little boy sitting in front of him. A martyr like Oscar Romero, an El Salvadorian priest to oppose the injustice that was being done to the poor and was killed while conducting mass. As I looked up on those statues, I recognized that there were men and women throughout history that believed so firmly in God that their witness for God cost them their very lives. And yet the biblical witness teaches us this, that when people live so devotedly to God, even death cannot keep the witness of God from continuing to spread. When Stephen was killed, they were so scattered out of Jerusalem, all these believers just left and run with the exception of the apostles. But as they left and as they fled they shared the gospel of Jesus Christ and what was intended to bring an end to this movement that God has created became the very catalytic way in which the gospel would go from Jerusalem all the way to Rome it should not amaze us that God can work in circumstances and situations that often seem to us to be an end you know, sometimes when we give up hope, <laughs> when we kind of say, I don't know how God's going to do something here, He just comes through in powerful ways. I think about scriptures that say things like this, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and die, will life come forth? I think about Jesus taught, unless you lose your life, will you find it? Those who try to hold on to it will never find it. There seems to be this repetition throughout the gospel witness that death is not the end, but in fact the beginning of life. That we as Christians should not fear the end, for there is no end in certainty in Jesus Christ, because Jesus has a overcome Satan, sin, and death. As I stand before you, I think about my family. They left me now. It's 21 years ago. I had one of the best moms you could ever have. Whew. You know, I, 
when I talk to my children about my mom, I, I, I tell them all these stories. And, and you know, God has gifted me really wonderful children. I mean, they naughty as all heck, get out, and, and uh, they, they test my patience. You know, I, I, was, telling some, uh, I was telling some of the, my friends last night that, that my little daughter, Alana, uh, she's a creative one, artistic one. And her room looks like an artist room, you know, just simply messy. You, you can't even walk on her floor. She's painted on her walls. She's got all kind of creative things all over the place, and she's the creative one in the family. And I walked into her room one day, and, and every parent here understands what I mean when I say this. You know, you just kind of have enough of messiness, you know. And so I, I try to be as authoritative as I can. My wife makes fun of my authority as a, as a dad, she says the kids have me wrapped around their finger. But I, I kind of mustered all the courage and strength I have to approach my daughter, and I said, Alana, this is not acceptable. I said, you get off that bed right now. You see me? I mean, I'm, I'm imposing right now, you know? The authority is oozing out of me. You get off that bed right now, and you start cleaning and picking up everything in this bedroom. She looked at me. She threw herself on the bed like this. And she sighed. And this is her words. Dad, not everybody is good at the same kind of stuff. <laughs> you and mom are good at cleaning up stuff. I am not. <laughs> There's been so many. That, that, that's not the spiritual point. Uh, <laughs> please, children, don't leave here with the right to have messy rooms. But there's been so many moments that with my children, with my family, I've just really missed my parents, you know. I wish they were there. When Lauren was born while I was here as a pastor, the first person I wanted to call was my mom, and I actually picked up the phone in the hospital to call her. And they have been passed on for many years. And yet I share my personal story to say this to you, that I have learned to live into the resurrection hope that Jesus pronounces. I've learned that even though I've experienced such loss in my own life, God has raised up something within me that I, I can't explain to people. I, I, I can't find the words to say it to you, but there is a hope that goes so deep within my soul, in my very fiber, that as a pastor, as I walk with people who go through hard times, who go through difficult times, sometimes it looks like the world is falling. You know, some of you know what I'm talking about. Things sideswipe you. Things go wrong. Situations happen that you didn't expect, and you think this is the end of all things. You know, when the early church was filled with the Holy Spirit, they believed that there was absolutely nothing that God could not do, not even death could hold back the victory that is in Jesus Christ. So, when Stephen dies, the message spreads. And the message spreads so profoundly that more and more Samaritans, Gentiles, are now included in the mission of the church. It is in this particular context that Peter encounters a vision from the Lord. A vision that comes to him in the form of a sheet that descends from heaven and has on it all the kinds of animals that Jewish people were forbidden to eat. We understand when we study the history of the Bible that there were certain things that they could not eat, and if they ate it, they would be impure. But these things, these dietary restrictions became ways of excluding others from their life, ways of defining who they are. And so, when this vision comes to him, telling him to eat, Peter rejects it because eating it will go against everything he believes about who he is. 
You see, when we read the Bible, we don't necessarily think that this is a big deal. But this is a big deal. This is challenging someone to consider that the way he's lived and the way he's defined himself throughout his life and generations before him was now being subverted, was now being changed. You know what I found out when we read the book of Acts and we, we read Pentecost first and second Pentecost and we look at the power of the Holy Spirit and the infilling of the Holy Spirit and we look at the prophetic gifts of speaking in language and tongues that is foreign and both divine. We get caught up in that. But you know what I see when I read Acts? I see see how necessary the Holy Spirit was within the life of the apostles to create within them a vision for reaching beyond themselves. They would never go to the Samaritans unless the Holy Spirit filled them with his power to do so. There are certain people that they would not have considered going to unless God's Holy Spirit so take a hold of their life that he compelled them to go to places they would never go, to enter homes they would never go into. It is only by God's Holy Spirit that the church will go to the hard places in this world. And the reason the church doesn't go is because we've become too dependent on our abilities, on our capacities, on our talents, and our smarts, and we have left out the role of the Holy Spirit who comes begging for the church to be filled again with such an anointing that it will take us beyond what we thought about ourselves into places that are often hard and tough, but there we will find the Cornelius. You're not convinced? I'm going to have to amp it up now, Rene. You see, I, I think we can preach about the role of the Holy Spirit in many ways. Some of us here could probably teach me a thing or two about what the Holy Spirit has done in your life. I've seen people in ecstatic joy because of being filled with the Holy Spirit, and I praise God for that. I've seen the Holy Spirit anoint people and heal them. I've seen the Holy Spirit bring repentance within the hearts and lives of people. But if there's one thing that the Acts of the Apostle teaches us, the Holy Spirit does this. It empowers us to witness to others. The anointing that the church needs in this time... The Pentecost that we ought to pray for is a Pentecost by which the Holy Spirit again anoints the church to be his witnesses in this world. It is the kind of filling that is not just for my sake so that I would feel good about my spiritual life, but it's the kind of filling that challenges my preconceived ideas of who God wants to reach. And as I listen to the Holy Spirit and as I respond to the Holy Spirit, I find myself going to the other with this message of hope. You see, the Holy Spirit is always working ahead of us and inviting us to join him in his work of reaching out to others. There's some of us sitting here saying, you know what, Stu? Pastor Stu. I forgot I'm in Toronto. You know, that's for evangelists. That's for people who have the ability to talk about the Bible. You know who these Galileans were? <laughs> They were not the best of the best. They were not the smartest. They certainly didn't have great status in their culture, and yet when the Holy Spirit filled them with his profound mercy and grace and power, they were able to speak of this risen Jesus Christ. I say this to you desperately as the church. We have co-opted the Holy Spirit so self-servingly that what we want is all the benefits of what the Spirit can do for us. But the Spirit begs the church, it begs the church to go.
It begs the church to be filled so that we would witness. It begs Rosewood Church that we would seek the infilling of God's Holy Spirit, not only for our own enjoyment, but for the sake of people who do not yet know Jesus Christ. Listen, let me say to you, I've had to say yes to speaking engagements that I'd rather say no to. I've had to go to places in my own life that I'd rather not go to. I shared with you earlier, I'm very transparent, very honest, perhaps to a fault. I share this with you only, and perhaps we should mute my recording for this. Uh, A number of years ago, I was asked to go and preach at a church. I preached at this church, and as I stood up to preach, people got up and they left. I will never forget how difficult it was for me to preach in that very moment. Can you imagine that? Uh, I I had the suspicion that they left on account of how good-looking I was. No, you get the point. And I stood there, and I... And I bared down and I preached as best as I could. But that left this deep scar within Stu Williams' life. A deep scar. It wasn't up until just recently when that same church invited me to come back. (laughs) You know what I wanted to say? Jesus, there's so many people you can ask to do this. You don't have to ask me. Please, ask Pastor Jeremy. Please, ask, ask Pastor Lisa. In fact, I was convinced I was going to throw out other people's names and say, you got other people you can have go, but don't go. I, I'm not going. I spoke to my wife. You know, if you want to hear what Jesus says, speak to your wives. You know, if you want to know what the Spirit says, sometimes you need to just listen to your wife. And my wife said, are you at peace in saying no? I said, no. She says, well, then don't say no. I said, but I don't want to say Yes. She says, well, then don't say anything until you know whether it's no or yes. So practical. And so I thought about it for a while, and then I, I said, I'm going to call. And I called, and I spoke to the pastor there, and I, I was bold enough to share what had happened. And the pastoral team was quite surprised at what had happened. And they said to me, Pastor, we still feel you need to come. Yo, I mean, I, I got to be honest with you. I've had enough of this apartheid stuff. You know, when, when, when people hurt you that you don't know, it hurts, but it never hurts as much as people whom you think ought not to hurt you, and that confesses to be a part of the same church. I struggled. I was never intending to, sh- to share this with you tonight, but I struggled with the decision. After the, call, the phone call was done, I, I found that I had said yes, and then my stomach started to turn. I got my prayer team together. I shared with them. I said, you pray for me. I'm going. <laughs> I'm going, and, and I'm nervous, and I'm hurting. I showed up at this church. I got such a warm reception, and I was still kind of in the back of my mind. You know, I'm thinking, ooh, i got to stand behind that same pulpit where this thing happened several years ago. I, I don't know how I'm going to do this, you know. But I had this prayer team. They were praying that, you know, the fire of the Holy Spirit would fall upon Stu Williams. They were praying that I would have the courage and the confidence to preach the hope of Jesus Christ. But you know what I asked them to do? I asked them not just for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I prayed. I asked them, would you pray that the Holy Spirit so fills my heart with love that I would love these people? Because I really don't know what's going on in this community. All I know is this. Jesus loves these people, and somehow he wants me to be here. I got up on that first night. And I'm sorry to say this because you're getting second best. That was the best I've ever preached in my life. I preached with such anointing 
was such grace within my heart that God brought victory to me. Listen, let me, let me just be very candid with you. You know what racism does. You, you know, I, I never thought that I was going to preach on racism as much as I do today. But we need, we need the hope of Jesus Christ. But you know what racism does? It creates racism. When people are prejudiced to you, you become prejudiced to them. Have you ever noticed how vicious that cycle is? It is hard not to, be, to, to become the very thing that you detest in the other person, you know? And, and, and this event, this very event was so liberating to my soul, my friends, that now I enter places and I say, Jesus, I know it's going to be tough. I know it's going to be hard. I know there'll be places where people reject or don't want me there. There are people who don't listen to me. But Jesus, I've, I've seen what you can do when your Holy Spirit works in my life. And so I stand, I stand, I stand, and I pray, fill me with your Holy Spirit. You need to know something. I come before you not with my abilities and my knowledge and my education. I come before you with utter dependence on the infilling of God's Holy Spirit. Anything that is good, wise, and true that comes from my lips comes because God has been gracious to me and he has blessed me with the power of his Holy Spirit. I lean into him. I lean into him. I lean into him. I don't have special access to the Holy Spirit and you don't. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The scriptures teach us if you ask, he will give it to you. If you ask, he will give it to you. Your father in heaven is good. He wants to give his church good things. If you ask, he will give it to you. Friends, let us be filled. Let us be filled with a spirit that encourages us to bear witness to Jesus. I want you to think very soberly with me about what it meant for Peter to respond to a man like Cornelius. This Holy Spirit led him to a man's house that he would never have sat with, never had eaten with, never had been in the same space with. This Holy Spirit, through that very act, led to the salvation of many people. I think that what stifles the renewal of the church in our world is the lack of dependence on the Holy Spirit to go to the hard places. In fact, this morning, I'd received an invitation to go to another hard place, and I said, Lord, I don't need to live what I'm preaching. Let me just tell them how to live, and then and then let them figure it out and, and just give me cushy, nice preaching gigs like Rosewood <laughs> where I get roti. <laughs> and people like me. Thank you. But it is this spirit that opens up Peter in such a way where he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. The criterion for becoming a person of God was shifted from the status of being a Jew now to those who in faith respond to the saving work of Jesus Christ and who are filled by his Holy Spirit. You see, only the Spirit of God could enable Peter and the apostles to overcome what would keep them from going to the other. But what I want to end with is a simple yet important lesson. Not only does the Holy Spirit enable Peter to go into the home of a Gentile, but the Holy Spirit worked ahead of him in the life of Cornelius. Did you notice that? Cornelius, too, is guided by the Holy Spirit to be receptive and to call upon Peter. I have a neighbor, the house next door to us, 
is kind of a rental property. So what happens is we have a new neighbor every couple of years. Anybody live in a place like that, community like that? We just pray that it's nice people, you know, because <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. A couple of years ago, we had this neighbor move in. I uh, was coming home from church. I uh, <laughs> walked up the steps, and there he was. The Hugh wall was in front, and he was unpacking, and he's about, you know, 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, he's probably around 280 pounds, a strapping big boy. Scary looking. I said, hi. He said, hey. <laughs> I, I said, I'm Stuart. Pleased to meet you. I live right here. He goes, yeah, I'm Ryan. He goes, uh, so what do you do? Now, if you're a pastor and people ask you what you do, it, it, it usually kills the conversation right there. I remember once getting on a flight with a guy who was so intoxicated, he told me his whole life story in the most colorful language, and then as we were descending, he asked me, now what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor, and he nearly fell out of his seat. <laughs> and he says, why didn't you tell me? I said, I didn't know I had to tell you. I, you know, <laughs> so anyway, he asked me, he asked me, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. He says, I'm an atheist. And then he looks me square in the eye, and he says to me, do you think we can be friends? <laughs> I looked at him, and I said, why on earth not? And he looked at me kind of a little perplexed, you know. And then as I was leaving, he says, I know what you're going to do right now. I said, this guy is weird, you know. That's the first thing I'm thinking. This guy is weird. He says, you're going to go into your house right now, and you're going to start praying for me. <laughs> And I said to him, do you, what, do you not want me to pray for you? And being the Canadian he is, he says, I won't tell anybody what to do. <laughs> See, he's smart. Because if he tells me what to do, he gives me the right to tell him what to do. So he's like, whoa, I'm not going there. I'm not a sucker. So he says, no, I, I, I'm not going to tell you not to. I tell you this story because shortly after this encounter, we learned that his partner was diagnosed with breast cancer. My family and I, along with my children, we decided that we will cook every time that his partner is having radiation and chemo. Anybody that has gone through this understands how draining it can be. Not only the person going through it, but on the family. We instructed our kids to take it over. Our kids were rather afraid of him. <laughs> I said, it's okay. Your dad knows karate. <laughs> they started to take it off, uh, over to him, and... And every time that she went in for treatment, we would do this. I came home one day, and he opened up to me. He said, he said you know, I, I don't have anybody to really talk to. He said to me, you know, the Christians I know in my life, they've all condemned me and criticized me after I said I lost faith in God after my child died. He said to me, I, I was building a deck for a pastor the other day. He says, and... This pastor just kept on beating me over the head with the Bible. And he said in colorful language, I said, Whoa, if you want me to come to your church, you're sure going about it the wrong way. And then he said this to me. He says, But why is it that you and I can talk about things of faith and I not feel 
like you're judging me. Open the conversation. And now, when I go home, (laughs) he hasn't made any commitment yet. I have to sometimes sneak in because he's waiting for me. (laughs) He wants to ask and talk about religious and faith things all the time. You know, I, I sometimes think we've made it so complex, so hard, that we just don't realize that this Spirit can enable us in the ordinariness of our life with the people we share life with to proclaim Jesus Christ. I, I believe so much, my friends. I, you know, and I was meeting with Pastor Lucas earlier, and we were talking about the services so far, and he was so encouraging to me because I'm always trying to find out, am I with the people? Do you think I'm with the people? You know, and, and, and I said, you know, I, I'm not sure. And he said, no, Pastor, this is what I'm hearing. This is what I'm hearing. And tonight as I stand before you, I, I really sense this is the invitation of the Lord for this church in this particular season is that we would apprehend again the filling of God's Holy Spirit with such incredible love for others that it will move us to go to our neighbors. It doesn't get more simple than that. And I wonder this evening as I close, and by the way, this is not in my notes. I, I, it's okay, isn't it? I wonder this evening if we would, you know, I'm I'm a Nazarene. (laughs) You know why we call the church of the Nazarene? Jesus was a Nazarene. I mean, you can be called after John the Baptist as a Baptist, but it's not as good as being called a Nazarene. Are you following me? But the Nazarene church in its history has been a church that has stood before the altar of God and says, breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew. Give to me the ability, the courage, the determination, the obedience to love as you have loved me. The good news is this, that God so loved this world. Even those who oppose you. Listen, friends, I'm speaking out of hurt and pain. There's nothing worse than someone who rejects you. There's nothing worse than people who belittle you. There's nothing worse than people who look down on you. But you know, when Peter was challenged the way he was to go to people he would rather not go to, he could only do it when he opened his life to the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. It is that same Pentecost spirit that is present in the church today, wanting to unleash within the church the witness of Jesus Christ. It is that very same spirit that God says He gives freely to His church, freely to His church. You know, one of the most powerful signs, Pastor Lucas, of the infilling of the Holy Spirit is a growth in our love for people. You know, one of the most important signs that a person is filled with the Spirit of God is that they find it within their hearts to show compassion to others. They find it within their hearts to forgive. One of the ways, listen, that the Holy Spirit works within the life of the church is He creates a depth of compassion within us. We will love people that others say forget. We will not ignore people that others say are not worth it. When the Holy Spirit fills the early church, it breaks barriers. It leaves Jerusalem and it goes to where God wants them to go. Listen, I am a product of the Holy Spirit filling people and sending them across the Atlantic Ocean because they were filled with the love of God. We, as the church of God today, are filled with the same Spirit. Will we go? Will we go? Will we go? We don't have to go to South Africa, although it's great. 
We don't have to go overseas. But we can go across the street. We can go to the next cubicle. We can reach out to that friend on Facebook. We, we can be intentional with the people in our lives. You see, this is what it means to be the church. As much as I would want to preach to you today that the Holy Spirit wants to fill you anew and afresh, I want to challenge you that you would pray that He would so fill your life that it is evident in your relationship with the people you come into contact with. Listen, my friends, let me give you your, my heart for the church. Let me give you my heart for the church. It is Colossians 3.11 that here there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, barbarian or Scythian, but Christ is all and in all. I believe the hope of God for the church is that the church would be the kind of place that welcomes absolutely everybody and where everybody finds a place. We need churches like Rosewood. Friends, we need churches like Rosewood. We need the Holy Spirit to inspire you so much so that you say, how's our church going to grow? It's going to grow because you start speaking to people about Jesus. It's going to grow because you take this message to others. It's going to grow not because you have better preachers and better programs. It's going to grow because the Holy Spirit has so captured your heart that you can do nothing else but share about Jesus. This is how the church grows. Listen, I know there's church strategies. I know there's things we can buy and get off the internet and say, let's try this new innovation. But you know how the church grew and the early church grew? It grew through one simple act. It says, breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. What do you say? What do you say? Do we say, yes, Lord? to your will and to your way. Listen, let me, let me qualify. Let me, let me qualify because I want to make sure I don't leave any confusion with you. I stand before you as one who confesses that Christ had to fix and is still fixing some deep hurts within me. But I testify to this, that the Holy Spirit has given me the power to forgive and love even those who have taken so much from me. And if he can do it to me, he can do it for you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Church, why don't we come? Why don't we stand? You don't have to come to the altar, but if you're able to come to the altar, I want you to come and just kneel here. And I want to invite the elders of this church, the people who love the Lord Jesus Christ, as people kneel here, I want you to come and lay your hands on them. And I want you to pray that God's Holy Spirit would empower and fill them. If you're such a person tonight, you're saying, you know what, Stu, I want to be effective in sharing Jesus with others. I want you to come and stand. And our pastors, all of them who are here, are going to step out and they're going to lay hands on you and they're going to pray for you. I want you to come now as an act of obedience, as an act of response and say, Father, give me the spirit of witness. Give me the spirit of mission. Give me the spirit that breaks down barriers. Give me the spirit that comes from you, that creates love within my heart for those who don't know you. Fill me anew and afresh. Fill me anew and afresh. Pour out your Holy Spirit on the church tonight, dear God. May it be evident in the love we have for one another. May we be reconciled tonight as brothers and sisters in Christ. In all the beauty of the diversity of the body of God, Jesus Christ is our unifying love. He is our grace. He is our peace this evening. 
I invite you, if you're staying in your seats, to remain prayerful with us as we pray. Father God, now, in this very moment, we stand before you as an act of obedience. We are not trying to replicate what you did to the apostles, but we are trusting your word that you said, if you ask, you shall receive. If you knock, the door shall be opened unto you. Father, we believe tonight, again as the church of God, that we need your Holy Spirit to make a difference in our world. We confess to you the ways in which we've relied upon strategy. We've relied upon our own ability. We've relied upon our own talents. But we have forsaken the very gift that you give to us freely. The gift of your Spirit that enables us to love as Jesus loves us. That empowers us to witness with power and authority. That draws people unto you. So fill your church with the Holy Spirit tonight. Fill my brothers and sisters as they stand before you. Fill this pastor with the gift of your Holy Spirit. That we would be a witness in our world unto your glory, unto your name. That this church would experience tremendous growth. People who do not know Jesus will come to know Jesus because of you. Your children who have walked away from faith will come back to Jesus Christ because of you. Your, your, your spouse who's not here tonight and doesn't know Jesus Christ can be reclaimed by the power of His Holy Spirit and come back to Him. That wayward friend, that person that you've given up hope on will return to Jesus Christ because of your witness. The power of God at work within the church can accomplish immeasurably more than we think or ask. Church of God, this is the season, the season of harvest. The word says that the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. But we say tonight, no longer, Lord. We are your laborers. We are your children. We are your church. Hallelujah. 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 Would you lead us?